you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been going through a series talking specifically on the love of God. Can you all say love with me? Love. It's a word that is not unfamiliar to anyone in this room. No one in here is like, I've never heard of that before, as well as the term hate as well. Love and hate are pretty common terms that are used in our day and age. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mari talked a lot about how love is something that um, is absolutely necessary. What we read even, in fact, was that it talks about how you could surrender your body to the flames. You could give everything that you have. You could die for someone. But if it's not out of love and it's not for love, it's, it's for nothing because ultimately God is love and everything he does is love. Pastor Hayden spoke on that as well last week. And this week specifically, I want us to look at um, the definition of what love really is. Oftentimes when it comes to talking about this word love, say love one more time with me. Love is a term that could be described in general in terms of love is something that you need. You can't live without love. Love is something that's so vital to your own faith and everything. Amen? And yet, you can go without actually defining it of what it actually means. And when it comes to God and his kingdom, it is something that is defined not only in a knowledge-based sense, but it is defined in our lives and how it's received and also given to the people around us. And so this morning, I want to talk about the specifics, the actual definition of what it is, and how do we go about understanding that in our lives. And so if you look at me in 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at this passage a few weeks ago in whole, but I want us to zone in on a couple verses. And so if you start at verse 4 with me, what it says is that love is patient, that love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, and love never fails. Can you say amen with me? The interesting thing about this text that many of you may have heard before is that it it explicitly defines what love is. There's no beating around the bush. There is no, oh, I I understand the sub-meaning of this. It spells it out plain in front of you what love is. It says, love is patient. That is an attribute of God's love. Love is kind. Love perseveres. It keeps no record of wrongs. It never fails. This is what is a very true aspect of God's definition of love and of godly love and what it looks like. In fact, in another part of the Bible, it would go as far as to say in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. And then it's colon, let me spell it out for you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And it spells out this definition in which you could attribute these characteristics to everything that Jesus did in his efforts on the cross and the resurrection. That what Jesus did in coming down to earth, dying on the cross for our sins and then being resurrected again, was the most loving act ever done in history in the universe by someone to someone else. And so when you look at the act of that, you could attribute even what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. God was patient with us in waiting for the right time. He didn't just execute judgment, but instead he was patient. God is kind. God was kind enough to give his only begotten son to us. Jesus didn't give up on us. He didn't turn around and go back to heaven and say, good luck, you guys are terrible. But instead he persevered and he withstood the crucifixion 
because he loved us. Love perseveres and love never fails. And you could so on and so forth with the list of what it is. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus is keeping no record of your wrongs. In fact, you could look at this passage as well and replace the word love with God. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrongs. These are true aspects of how God is and how he loves us. And I think it's, it's interesting because love is something that's often talked about in our day and age. How many of you know that there are a lot of definitions of love out in the world right now? Now, love is a funny definition because on one hand, you could say love is something that could describe a marriage. Everybody say marriage. A marriage, all right? That when you're talking about the love between a man and a woman and their covenant and their unity, till death do we part, we're never separating. I'm becoming one with you. I want to share everything in my life. I want to dedicate my entire life to you and love you like Jesus. That word love carries a lot of weight. Amen? And then you turn around and you say, I love Chipotle, all right? And all of a sudden, it carries a different kind of weight, or you're like, oh, I love my teacher for not giving us homework. Do you really love your teacher for not giving you homework in the same way a man would love a woman or a woman would love a man? No. You went, well, maybe, but, oh, but, but let me ask you this. So when someone says, well, I love God, and I love him so much, is it like, is that the Chipotle-loving definition, or is that like the covenant definition that you have for God? Because they have a magnitude of difference between them, and even though the language may sound the same, verbally you say it, it carries a whole different level of weight and commitment and definition to what it is. And so love is something that people understand It's something that many of us in this room would say, I love God. But when you ask specifically what the definition of what love is, you'll get a million different definitions in the room. Which is why it's so important to consider what does it actually mean to love someone. It's a question we ought to ask ourselves every day in regards to our faith of what are we receiving from God in terms of love and what are we giving other people in terms of that same love. Love is something that is highly contested in today's culture. I would say that love and the definition of what it is and what it isn't is an often hot topic, not just in our nation, but in the world. You see people fighting and laying down their lives saying, this would be the most loving thing to do, and this is a non-loving thing what you're doing. And people would reply back, nah, you're being unloving. This is the loving thing. This is the definition of love, and this is how we should respect it. You'll see people dedicate their entire lives to fight for certain definitions about it. It's something that's not uncommon to what we're experiencing in the world around us, that defining love and understanding what love is truly is something that we're all doing together. It's not something that's under a rock. It's not something that's going, man, I never really heard that before. In fact, it's a common topic within us, and it's a common topic within the kingdom of God and in our own faith as well. But at the end of the day, no matter where you might find yourself, There is one thing in common between all of us, and it's this. Everyone has a definition of love. Everyone has a stance on what love is and what it isn't. Whether that's from your own personal upbringing, whether that's your own opinion, whether that's your own decisions you made about what you believe in, whether you feel emotionally attached to it or not, Everyone has made decisions in their life of what they're going to receive and give as love in their life and the extent by which they will do it and fulfill it. But here's the other side of it that's equally as important that I want to talk about with you guys today. It's this. Everyone has a system 
of how they define love as well. So people don't just have definitions that fall out of the sky, but people have definitions and ways of forming that definition that go about informing why they chose that as love the way that they did. So did you know that in five years from now, you're going to have a very different definition of what love is than you do right now? Did you know that in 10 years from now, you're going to have an even more definition or even more different definition than the one five years from now? It's because it's constantly changing. There are factors that are coming in. You're making different decisions. You are valuing things differently as you continue to grow and as you continue to make decisions about what you want to live your life for and what kind of character and what kind of person you want to have and be. And so what that means is this, that there's a difference between maybe necessarily how you would define something right now, immediate, instant, static, versus what is going into that. I think the best way to describe it, Angela, can you put up that picture up there? So that's a beautiful little lake. How many of you guys like lakes on vacations and things like that? Um, That looks pretty freezing. But if you notice, it's a pretty healthy place. thought you should just know it's cold. So... But if you notice that a lake isn't just a body of water that sits by itself, that would be either like a pond or a swamp. Um, But this is a lake, which means that it has a body of water coming into it that's feeding it, and it goes somewhere else. So if you notice in the front of this picture, there is a pretty healthy freshwater stream that's going into it. And it's that freshwater stream that feeds in, and what makes that lake as healthy and as pristine and as fresh as it is. Now go ahead and put up the other slide. This would be an example of an unhealthy body of water. And so on the other side of it, there is a lot of toxins. There's a lot of pollution that's going in. But it's because of the very same reason of what is feeding into it. It's the source of it that makes it what it is. And here's the funny thing about it. That lake could be the healthiest, clearest water, freshest place. But if the source of it is unhealthy going into it, over time, it's going to change the entire lake of what it's filled with. It's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen at some point where it becomes unrecognizable. Likewise, with the first lake, it could be completely polluted and diluted and dangerous and unhealthy, Willamette River-esque, and yet if it's pouring in water that's healthy and fresh, it's going to change it over time. So it is honestly with our definition of what love is. Oftentimes we could look at that and say, well, look at that in the water. That's my definition of love. Why is it not getting healthy? It's because you're just pointing to what you believe in, not necessarily how you came to believe it, which is the source itself. Asking this question of not just what is the definition of love is important, but asking yourself, why do I believe in that? How did I come to believe in that, and why do I value that, and why is that my final decision to believe what I believe in? I think there's a lot of things that go into our definition of love. Um, There are things that are happening in our lives that you don't even realize that are happening that are shaping you right now. Um, That's a lifelong process with Jesus of discovering why you are the way that you are, but also who God is in that. And so, for time's sake, I want us to look at four specific definitions of what, what makes kind of your love, what goes into your definition of love. The first one being is our upbringing. Now, what this refers to is your family of origin. This refers to the place that you were born, how you were raised. These are crucial years of nurturing and upbringing that a lot of you guys are still in, 
lot of you guys aren't full-fledged adults until 24, 25 years old. And so it's a long process that happens in our lives. But even more, the number one influencer of your life and how you give and receive love is your parents. And not just your parents in the way that they treat one another, but your parents in the way that they treat one another. Um, Pastor Jim Newby was talking with us um, and our team, and he was revealing some statistics about what is the greatest fears of kids. And all of us were thinking, well, it's not to be loved or if they're going to be rejected. Actually, did you know that the greatest fear of kids is that their parents will get divorced? It has nothing to do with necessarily them, but all with their relationship with one another because of what they believe about love. If that breaks, a lot of what their belief about what love can do and the hope in love breaks along with that and is a journey of healing that God needs to walk. In fact, being raised up has a lot to do with the way that we treat other people, and it has a lot to do with the way that we think we ought to be treated as well. And so, for example, if someone was abused when they were younger, they're more likely to abuse other people when they become older because they want to put themselves in a situation where they're in control because when they were younger, they weren't. And so they're fighting against this belief that happened when they were younger. And that's what you would call a pathogenic belief about yourself. It's like this deep-rooted thing that was never solved. For myself personally, I really struggled with feeling neglected by male figures in my life, by coaches, by teachers, by siblings, and things like that, being abused and being left. And so I really struggled when someone would say that they were here for me, and then I felt like they weren't. That really rocked me to my core, and it still does to this day. And that's something that I recognize and go, why do I feel that way? Well, it's because of past things that happened that have shaped me that I need to bring to Jesus for healing. Vice versa, when it comes to things like discipline in my lives, I had parents who were very honest with me, that disciplined me, that held their ground. You're grounded, and I'm going to hold you to it. But they also loved me. They didn't shame me. They didn't embarrass me. They never abused me. And so I take criticism pretty well. And I take it as a compliment, but I know a lot of people in their own lives that criticism can cause all kinds of fears and anxieties because of ways that criticism came in their lives when they were younger, along with shame, along with hurt, along with abuse, verbally and physically and all sorts of ways. But that's just one example, and there are millions kinds of examples. And all that to say is this, your upbringing shapes your formation of what you think love is like. And so then in comes God saying that I love you, and you go, well, let me think of what love is. And then you say, well, God must be like this, but really you're just thinking of them as the same way that you were raised yourself. And so our upbringing has a huge influence on us. The other one is past experiences. This is for better or for worse. This could be people in our lives that we either were good influences, poor influences, friends. It could be relationships that we were in. If you really liked someone a lot and they didn't like you back or they broke your heart, betrayed by friends, um, really hurt by people, and you said, I would never go to that level of vulnerability again. I wouldn't trust someone that again because I'm just going to get hurt. You're making a statement about love in that moment saying that this is what love is, that Yeah, people will love you up until you're this vulnerable, and then they'll hurt you. And that's a statement about your understanding and your definition of love in your own life, which could be shaped by the good and the bad things. If you have people that are loyal to you in your lives, or healthy friends, godly friends that are there for you, 
um, that's going to shape your belief because you're going to say, I know God loves me that way because my friends and the people around me are loving me that way. Jesus would even say, how could people know the love of a God who's unseen if they can't see it in the people who are seen around them? And so there's a lot of past experiences, situations that can go into that. The third one is probably the most influential because you have a lot of decision-making over what goes into it. It's the voices that you listen to and we have in our lives. And that's not necessarily saying just the verbal voices that are in your life. Something can be a voice in your life even if it doesn't have an audible human voice. So you could have like your parents' voices in your life, but you could also have culture and your understanding of the culture around you speaking something to you. You could have someone you really look up to, like a celebrity or an athlete that you admire and you respect, and their voice is a lot more important. Can I get an amen to the fact that we have people in our lives whose voice we value a lot more than others? Amen. There are some people that speak, you know, and you're like, hey, you're great, but I'm not listening because I don't respect your voice as much. And then there are people in our lives where we're almost impressionable because of how much we respect them and how much we want to be like them and want to listen to them. And ultimately, if you're taking notes too, I want you to write this down. The most valuable voices in your lives ultimately become your teacher. The voices that you value the most will take a seat of being your teacher, of teaching you in your heart. You will let them teach you and change you in a way that other voices could not. And a lot of that has to do with our own decisions. And so, for example, let's say you really like an athlete or a celebrity, and you're like, man, I really like them, I respect them, they win, whatever reasons they are. But what if they're super shallow or superficial or they bully other people, do you think you're going to start acting exactly the same way? You're going to start caring about how you dress. You're going to start becoming shallow in the same way. It's because that's the voice you respect most of all, more than any of the other voices. And then the last one's a combination of all of them. It's our current circumstances, which makes up our upbringing. It makes up our past experiences, makes up the voices that are in our lives, the influences that are around us in our season of time. And so ultimately, though, I think that one of the ways that as we grow, everybody experiences different things. Amen? Amen? No, we all experience the same thing. All right? Everybody experiences different things around them, and it can form our hearts in a different way. We choose different voices. And so this is an example of a heart um, in a sense of these are certain beliefs that you could have over yourself. And so I just wrote a couple of them. These are things that could happen because of certain situations. It could be upbringing. It could just be maybe you didn't know any different. You need to change in order to be loved or accepted. Maybe you grew up in a house where that was the norm, and you didn't know anything differently. And so how would you, why would you think love would be any different if that's what you grew up in? I'll never let go of how people have hurt me in my life. Maybe you were really hurt by someone, and this is the belief that you came into the end of the day. I doubt people, I doubt myself could ever change because you've hoped for people to change and it didn't happen, so you were disappointed. I believe what sounds best to me. It's hard to believe in a truth that I don't emotionally feel like I support, and so I'm just going to go with what sounds best. I wish I was like others, had what they have. I see my friends. I wish I had what they had. I wish I was like them. I wish um, I had the same kind of influence as them, and so you begin to envy Maybe someone hurt you and no one knows it, and in your head you're thinking, I need to expose them in order to feel better about myself because I feel wronged and no one knows it. I need to be recognized. I need to be seen. I need that to happen in order to be accepted and loved. 
I'll never forget what they did to me. I'll hold it against them. And then ultimately, God and people will eventually give up on me because they'll realize I'm a mess and they'll lose faith in me. So these are just examples of certain things that you could believe about yourself. So let me ask you something about this. If you put these all together, what kind of what life do you think you'd live? Pretty sad, would you say stressful, anxious, maybe depressing even, worrisome, angry is another one. I was talking to Carissa about this, and she said something really profound. She just heard the list of it, and she said, I want you guys to hear this. How could anyone be happy if they thought like that? I want you to think about that for a minute. If this was your thought process and how you took in life around you, how could you ever be happy? How could you ever have peace? How could you ever have joy in your life? God could be involved in your life. You could have people that are positive influences. The Holy Spirit could be right there on your doorstep, ready to change you. But if you choose to believe like this, you're never going to receive any of it. And sometimes it's interesting when I know friends of mine who will say, well, if God loved me, well, why don't I feel joy? Why don't I feel peace? It's because God wants to shape you in such a way to receive it and to live in it. Because ultimately, it's in our heart where that peace and where that joy resides. And so if you're here today and you're hurting, you're struggling, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're uncertain of yourself, this is a message for you this morning that God wants to address the definition of love that you would receive How many of you know that if this is what God's love was like, it'd be pretty depressing? Amen? Okay, this is not God's love. And if you see this as God's love, you'll never believe in yourself because you'll think God doesn't believe in you as well. And if you think this is the love that you show to other people because of what you receive, you'll never live in the fullness of it, and you'll never see the fullness of God either. And so all that to say, we find ourselves in certain situations in life where We might believe in some of these. Maybe you believe in one of these deep down, or maybe you believe in all of them, or other things that aren't listed. All that to say is that God is a God who wants to shape our belief of what love is, and he wants to prune us, he wants to make us into the definition of what love is, to receive it and to give it to those around. Can I get an amen? So how do you do that? So where do you learn and where do you grow in your understanding of God's love? So how would you begin the process if you were someone like this? And maybe you're struggling with one thing, maybe you're struggling with all of them. Well, I think it starts with your sources. I think it starts with the places that you go. The first one I would just say is the Word of God, and specifically um, the life of Jesus and the early church. And so I want you to think about something. Jesus is God, and God is love. Jesus took on human form in this world. Who better to show how humans should receive and give love than Jesus Christ himself? Why not look at the life of Jesus, all right, as the ultimate source? And that doesn't mean there aren't other sources, but it does mean that looking at Jesus and his life is the ultimate source. And so if no one in this world was following Jesus or not following Jesus correctly, but you still had the word of God, you would have the answer. Thankfully, that's not the case. But ultimately, the answer is in this. There are a lot of people in our world, and maybe you're someone like this in this room, who assumes that Jesus is a certain way because you just heard it from people, but you never actually looked at it yourself. Can I urge you guys to do something this week? Find some time 
I want you to write down what you think Jesus is like and what his love is like. And then I want you to take some time to read either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, preferably Matthew or John. And then after I want through it, I want you to write down certain attributes you see about Jesus. Jesus was loving. Jesus was healing. Jesus stopped everything in this. Jesus gave his life. Jesus forgave. And begin to look at the different attributes of what Jesus is really like. I think you'll be surprised to see he might be different than some of your assumptions. The other side of it, though, is look at the early church. You can do the same thing by looking at the book of Acts, especially chapters 1 through 12. Because the church was built in a way that was perfectly loving. And there are definitely examples, and there are places in our world today where there are examples of churches loving one another, but there are also examples of it's not as well. I had an interesting conversation with one of the players I'm coaching at Westview, who's an atheist, and he was talking about how Christian culture over the last 200 years was painted in a certain way. And so he said, this is what church is like. And so he started painting this. And I said, looking at culture is only a part of it, but you need to go to the source if you really want to know what Jesus actually intended for church and what love actually looked like. And so sometimes it can be easy to assume by things we've just seen without actually going to the source itself. I would urge you guys, if you don't have a daily consistent point of looking at Jesus and his love or the church, to make that um, a priority. That's a place where you truly learn about what love is. And then the next point is similar to the first two in the sense of it's God's church um, specifically. Angela, can you put that up? Thank you. Um, The second one. Thank you. Um, The church family. And this isn't necessarily saying the church family like, you need to ask me or the leaders and we'll tell you what love is. That's authoritarian. That's not necessarily what we're saying because the Bible's our authority whether you're a pastor or not. But Jesus made the church in such a way that we were meant to love one another. And by that, the world would know what love is and who God is by the way that we treat one another. That was a command that he gave to his disciples. And so it's ideally, if someone were to walk in here who has had no experience whatsoever of what church or what God is like, or if someone in this group maybe has an awakening and you're like, man, I want to take my faith seriously. I wonder what God is like. And all of a sudden, what they should see is a people that love one another, that put flesh and bone to a word about love that's right in front of them. And so they should be able to see the love of God of saying, you guys are living exactly the way that Jesus commanded us to back in this day for us through the word of God. And so the church family plays a vital role in that because it's an active present love meant for this time for us to live in. We were meant to live in a community that truly loves one another as brothers and sisters in a way that the world doesn't. That's something that we're all aiming for and growing into. It's something that we aspire to in our own faith, not just for ourselves, but for one another. Then the last point is your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, that you're seeking out God through his word, you're seeking out God through his church, but you're seeking out God personally all the while while you're learning about this. You're walking with the Holy Spirit who is healing maybe certain points in your own life that were broken, and now that you need um, but also maybe he's changing certain definitions that you just never knew or you, ne- you didn't even think were comprehensible. Maybe you're someone you're like, why would I ever be loved if I didn't change? And God says, well, actually, I love you just the way that you are, and you didn't know that. But that's all a journey with God that you take, 
And that's a journey that his word shapes us through. In Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Now listen to this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That God's word has this ability to come in and perform open heart surgery on what we would define as love and say, you need to remove this definition and I'm going to replace it with my definition here. See this thing that happened in your life that you're still holding on to? I'm going to open heart surgery. I'm going to protect everything around it so you won't lose it, but I am going to remove this. And this word has the ability to shape our lives. And so if you come back here, maybe you're someone as God continues to shape and renew you, it says you need to change in order to be loved and accepted. But God changes that to say love is patient. God can be patient with me. Maybe you're someone who was hurt and you're saying, I'll never let go of how they hurt me. And God says, you're called to love others and respect others because I love and respect you in your own way. Maybe some point in your life, because you were disappointed or you were hurt, you doubt people. Um, or maybe you doubt yourself. You're trying to grow and you feel like you haven't been able to change. And so you just doubt people could ever change. But God teaches you to protect and hope for and believe in the best of others. God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Maybe you're someone here where you're like, I'll never forget what they did to me and I'll hold it against them. But ultimately, love holds no grudges and no offenses whatsoever. And God teaches you that because he doesn't do it to you. Maybe you're someone that's like, I need to be recognized. Maybe you feel unseen by God or by the people around you. And you're like, I need to be seen. I need to be recognized in order to feel like I'm something in this world. But what God says is that love is humble, that I see you in the unseen places in your own life. Maybe you're someone that's like, I need to expose people who have hurt me an eye for an eye in order to feel better, in order to feel good about myself. And what God says is that love keeps no record of wrongs, and he doesn't do the same to us. Maybe it's, I wish I was like others. People are better than me, and I wish I had what they had. I wish I had a dad. I wish I had a mom like other people. And what God says is that love is generous and it's happy for others because God is generous with us and giving us everything that we need in this life. Maybe you're someone that's like, I believe what sounds the best to me because I don't want to trust. I would rather just be comfortable and know the facts rather than trust people. And love celebrates the truth ultimately. And then lastly, God or people will give up on you and lose faith in you. And what it says is that love never fails or gives up. And so let me ask you something. If God was walking through your life and renewed these things, and now all of a sudden, the lake is starting to look a lot more healthy in your life. The pollution is gone because the source has changed, and it's made its way around your life to begin to change you. It's a process, and it's a lifelong journey. That's why it's such a walk with God. It's not something that just happens overnight, because God walks with us and teaches us to trust in him. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think it's a lot easier to have joy and peace and happiness um, and feel accepted by God and good and confident in who he made you when you think like this? Yes? Absolutely. Because now you're in a place where you're trusting God to give that to you, whereas before it wasn't able to happen. I'm going to call Ismari up, and she's going to lead us in a couple of response questions, but I... I want us just to consider a couple things as we discuss in groups. Go ahead and put journals and phones and Bibles away. As you guys are doing that, I just want you to consider just for a minute 
maybe certain things of how you receive love. How do you define love and how do you receive it? Maybe you've never thought about how did I come to decide what is loving and what is not loving? What is my source? Was it in my upbringing? Was it in experiences? Was it in voices that I listened to, right or wrong? And so, love you guys. Here comes Ismari. Could we just give Pastor Jeff another round of applause for delivering the message this morning? Thank you. Um, That was really good word. Something that just stood out to me as uh, Pastor Jeff was flipping these papers was so great because um, there's one side that just is completely untruthful and not wrong, and yet God delivers us from that and gives us all these truths to hold on to. Um, So that was just a great visual to have. Um, In just a moment, we're going to split up into groups of three or four. Um, It doesn't have to be just people in your row. It can be people behind you or in front of you. And feel free to move around your chairs into circles um, or whatever needs to happen um, to discuss these next questions. But the first question, if you could put on the screen, thank you so much, says, what are some of the things people have done for you that you thought were very extremely loving? Why? How does that relate to the way you defined love. So take a moment, go in the group, move your chairs, and just be vulnerable and discuss um, what your perspective is on these topics.